Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Earlier this week, the federal government announced it would be spending $162 million over the next four years to implement a national action plan to end gender-based violence in Ontario. The timing is not by chance. November 25th is the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. The month of November is Women Abuse Prevention Month. On today's show, we dig deep into intimate partner violence. The recent inquest into the deaths of Gladys and Bill Ryan is our topic. In 2017, Gladys was shot in the head in the emergency department while she was being treated in Northumberland Hills Hospital. Bill died of multiple gunshot wounds after police arrived. Nancy Johnson, CEO of Cornerstone Family Violence Prevention Center, attended the inquest in late September and early October. Gladys was known to her. Johnson will discuss intimate partner violence among elderly women. She will also go over the recommendations from the inquest and what changes they can bring. I'm so pleased to have with me today, Nancy Johnson, CEO of Cornerstone Family Violence Prevention Center. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thanks for having me, Robert. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Back in 2017, there was a shooting at Northumberland Hills Hospital involving an elderly couple, Gladys and Bill Ryan. Were you aware at that time that this incident involved intimate partner violence? Yes. Do you remember your reaction when you learned the details of what took place? I do, actually. It was, um, I think we were at a board, I think we were doing a board planning day. And when I heard about it, um, I, I learned of the woman's name and one of the first things that we did was, you know, is she a client of ours? And we, we looked into that. That's usually our first reaction. And I think a reaction that all violence against women agencies share, um, because not only is it a tragedy, we also have to worry about impact of on staff and all sorts of other things that you need to consider. Um, so yeah, when I, when I heard about it and I, you know, I learned details that, uh, you know, it was a woman shot by her husband. Um, you know, I, I, I knew exactly what it was. Now the details we, we didn't have. And when we, you know, when we talked about it being a femicide, I think we got some pushback of saying, well, it's under investigation. And I said, well, here's what I do know is that a woman was shot by her husband. So, you know. Like, I, I didn't even really know how to answer that other than a woman was shot by her husband. And this is something that we see far too often, right? The femicide list, and we get it every month through our association. So there's been 46 femicides since November 26, 2022 in Ontario alone. So, 
yeah, it's um, femicides are are on the rise in Ontario, and we're 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 seeing that. And uh, you know that that has, yeah, we all need to be concerned about that because that is the you know the most serious part of this issue of gender-based violence is that it can lead to that and far too often it does um so yeah it was a it was a sad sort of reflective day elderly women experience higher levels of violence according to a national statistic collected by police the center for research and education on violence against women and children say that most of the attention when looking at intimate partner violence focuses on younger women. Older women are almost invisible. What is your experience? Yeah, I, I think one of the trends that we're seeing in each year when there is a femicide, um, there is a domestic violence death review committee that looks at every femicide and makes recommendations. So separate from a coroner's inquest, because most femicides do not ever end up in a coroner's inquest. I was shocked and amazed when we were preparing for the inquest here uh, with the Ryan inquest, that I think there's only been five coroner's inquests related to domestic violence in Ontario. I, I mean, I was just like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I, I live this reality all the time, but Sometimes things like that, regardless of how many years I've been doing it, I, I'm still shocked. Um, so it, yeah, I, I think you know, I, I think for elder for older women, Robert, one of the things that we hear about with older women and from uh, what studies are showing is that there is that generational piece that you know the way that women were raised in those generations was those terrible, you know, words and phrases that many women live by, you know, you made your bed, you lie in it. Uh, you know, these sorts of things are private matters. Um, and there's, you know, elements of shame and blame. There's also a distinct difference with financial um, considerations. We know right now that, um, you know, we know about the housing crisis. So women leaving their matrimonial home um, can be a, a really, it's an extra barrier for, for many uh, older women. And we also know with, you know, with the Ryan inquest, there was a level of dependence that she had on her partner because she, you know, she was facing some, some, some decline in her health and her cognitive well-being. So we also see that as, you know, a distinct barrier and a serious risk and one that gets overlooked. I'd like to come back to the Ryan inquest in just a little bit, but I want to explore this a little bit further. What do you see locally? Is there a bias? We as a community tend to look uh, at intimate partner violence through the lens of younger women, or do we have a more balanced approach? Uh, can you maybe characterize how we as a community view this? Mm -hmm. I think one of, I think there is an invisibility to this issue. We certainly see at Cornerstone, we have seen women um, in their 80s reach out to service for us. But by and large, there, you know, they, there is an invisibility to this. So the idea of, you know, having a spotlight on this doesn't happen regularly because we don't talk about it. We don't recognize it. We don't acknowledge that this can be happening. Um, and for many women who have been in the same intimate partner relationship, 
for upwards of 50 years, Robert, I think most people are probably turning a blind eye to it um, and, and not acknowledging it. So I think there's, I think there's some, you know, there, there are some significant biases around this and older women and older women have not a lot of power in our society. You know, they become invisible in so many ways in our, in our society. Uh, as we age, we we become invisible. And I think women who are experiencing gender-based violence and other oppressions, I, I think that that's a, that's a significant issue. Are there differences in the factors contributing to the violence against older women as compared to younger women? Robert, when we look at elder abuse, right, and there's been some work on, on elder abuse, um, it's not always an intimate partner. It can be a family member. Um, particularly around financial risk. We can see it in, in caregivers, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, it, it's across the board. I, I think the, the one that perhaps we have the most confusion with is the intimate partner violence. We don't think about it. We always think about it in terms of partners yeah. and partner relationships and not necessarily about caregivers that can create problems or family members creating problems. In, in your experience, how often does this occur and do people come to you looking for support and help? Sometimes they do, Robert, yeah. And sometimes we have seen women have, um, you know, have experienced with both their partner as well as their children um, or caregivers. So yes, we have definitely seen that. Again, I think there is a hesitancy for women to reach out. I think there's barriers to women reaching out. Um, I think there's a significant level of shame and blame that women, older women in particular, carry. Shame and blame is something that we see across the board, regardless of age, for women to come forward to admit that this is happening because they feel like they're to blame. You know, all of those things that we've been, you know, working on for for decades it's still very real. And shame and blame, um, it plays a very big part of women not reaching out. And then when we have people who don't ask, you know, I'm like, if you don't ask, women aren't telling you, you know? Um, so it, it, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's really important that, you know, when women are accessing service through, you know, through other agencies that we're asking the question, because very few women are gonna say it, right? I'm coming to see my doctor because I have a headache, but I, I have a headache because I'm so stressed out because I'm being abused. Um, and very few people make the linkages, right? We're still looking for, you know, women who have obvious signs of physical trauma, right? And it's, you know, again, we continue to say that's one element, but it's not the only element. And we know that women are killed by their intimate partner oftentimes, and there's no physical violence that happens. So, you know, staying so staying so focused on the physical violence, I, I think is um is a concern. And I think sometimes that's what we're seeing with senior women as well. Um, that it's not necessarily just the physical violence, right? Um, that things can unravel very quickly and people don't notice the signs and symptoms like the Ryan's. Um, and something so tragic like this occurs. Let's talk about the inquest. What was the role of Cornerstone in the inquest? 
we were invited to uh, attend. So I attended every day at the at the inquest. It was it was a virtual inquest, um, and listened. Um, I wasn't allowed to you know ask questions of any of the witnesses. At the end, I was allowed to offer a submission and offer recommendations to the to the to the coroner's um to the coroner's counsel sorry that was the proper word for the lawyers in this um to which we did so it was really important that i that we were there every day that we were there as the reminder of what happened in this circumstance um it was a little bit different than some of the other coroner's inquests there wasn't any family members of of the ryan's present um there were many lawyers and myself. Um, I was the only non-lawyer there, other than, of course, the jury, who were a lovely, you know, a great attentive um, jury members uh, who were really engaged, um, who showed up day after day to hear some really difficult things. Um, and I was there too. And I, I mean, I was I was pleased that they included us because you know, it might not have been. Again, they they had to have the coroner's inquest because, um, you know, Mr. Ryan was 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 killed um, by by covert police officers. Again, responding like no blame at all. Um, but you know, it they when it hit the coroner's desk, I think they looked at it and went, "There's a big overlay here of intimate partner violence." So that's when they reached out to us in the summer to say, hey, would you be willing to willing to attend? So so we did that. We thought it was important that we were there as a voice and not lose that sight of it. And yeah. I'd like to work my way through some of the recommendations, not all of them, but a few that I think are, are relevant to our conversation. One of the interesting recommendations involved the ability of triage nurses or doctors being able to access information regarding abuse. How is this useful? Uh, I, I think a lot of what came out of the inquest was the sharing of information and how information gets shared and relayed. Um, you know, I, it, it was just it was just such a critical piece of piece of what occurred, right? Of you know, the paramedics and who who was telling somebody what and so yeah, it was a lot about information sharing and and gaps in information sharing. And I think not only this inquest, but pretty much every other inquest involving the death of women at the hands of a a, a partner, um, it it's a blaring piece of the inquest in terms of information sharing with organizations. So whether that's healthcare, police, organizations like Cornerstone children's aid like there's been many many um you know many pieces of this that show up in every inquest as well as at all the D domestic violence death review committees information sharing comes up time and time again in that case then how, why is it not happening what what are the barriers that don't allow you to share the information that you have with our local hospitals our police our fire why isn't that happening? I think it's a great question, Robert, and one that I hear particularly with health. And again, health has other uh, privacy um, rules that that we do. We're we're not under those those rules, but certainly information like privacy comes up time and time again. 
I'm not saying that I agree with it. <laughs> I think it can sometimes get in our way. And what we've talked about is, you know, when does privacy, uh, when does sort of, you know, serious risk of harm overrule privacy? And I know that, you know, at, at Cornerstone, we're really clear about that, right? We'll talk to women about her confidentiality, but when we have to not honor that confidentiality, here are the reasons why an imminent risk to yourself or others is one of them. Um, so I don't really have the answers to that, Robert, in terms of what gets in the way of, say, our local hospital or some of the other health sector. Uh, but that's that's what I have heard for sure is a, is around privacy and and yeah. Well, it's funny because many of the recommendations surround changes to the hospital procedures, making them more conscious and monitoring the situation where intimate partner violence was a factor. So has Cornerstone been working at all with Northumberland Hills Hospital or Campbellford Memorial Hospital to address this? I mean, are you guys even talking about it? Um, it's something that we're going to be doing in the future for sure. In 2018, after this event occurred, we did have a couple of meetings with uh, Northumberland Hills Hospital looking at, you know, protocols, because one of the questions that I have asked, and it, you know, it came up again at the inquest was, are you triaging, like, is part of your triaging asking women about experiencing intimate partner violence, regardless of what they're coming in for at the hospital, because I maintain a perfect gateway to help is our healthcare sector. Because most women at some point in their life touch the healthcare sector. And I think it's, you know, I, again, I've been quite vocal about this. I think we receive very few referrals from our healthcare sector. So there's a lot of work to do. I've made a commitment, um, Cornerstone has made a commitment to try to again, make more inroads with our healthcare sector. Um, I'm hoping that the recommendations will allow us to pave that road a little bit more smoothly. I think that there's willingness, I do. I, I have to believe in there being willingness to, you know, to do this. And we've talked about one of the recommendations that we had was about um, hospitals across the province um, developing a robust protocol with their with their local hospitals um, to address to address this issue. And one of the things that we talked about is, you know, you don't have to have all the answers. Like that's what we can do, but you have to recognize what some of the risk factors are and refer, right? Because I've often said, like, we can we can come in and provide service. We, we're happy to do that. Um, and in fact, that's a great thing to do because our staff are really well trained in looking at risk factors, responding, developing safety plans. Um, that's what we're real good at. And, you know, I think we can work collaboratively together. Um, and we can provide training because that was certainly the other resounding thing that came out of the inquest is a lack of training in the healthcare sector around intimate partner violence. I was surprised to hear that the nursing, you know, the nursing schools, there are no, there are no mandatory trainings around intimate partner violence. There's nothing for PSWs. 
which again, you know, PSWs can be the eyes and ears for particularly older women or women who, who face, you know, multiple barriers and, you know, are needing that level of, of service. Um, they can be the eyes and ears in, in these homes uh, or care facilities. Um, and that that's important. And again, that's, you know, no fault on nurses or PSWs and they do a heck of a good job. Um, but it is just, you know, giving people a little bit of information and it doesn't have to be cumbersome because again, I know everybody has to do training and it, it's super busy work, um, but we're happy to work together. And I, I think we need to, like, we all know that this is the way we have to work together these days. Now, more than ever, we're all stretched thin and we have to work collaboratively. And again, with, you know, not pointing fingers, it's how can we have the best outcomes? How can we ensure that there's never another Ryan inquest in our community? Police forces are being asked to increase sensitivity to possible intimate partner violence related to older women. How would you describe the level of awareness by local police and where could improvements be made? Yeah, I, I think um, I know and I, I feel very um, hopeful about the great working relationship we do have with Cobra Police Services and have for many, many years. Uh, we're also developing a much closer working relationship with Port Hope Police Services. So right now uh, with Coburg for the past uh, seven years, I believe, one of our staff goes in on a weekly basis to review all their domestic violence and gender-based violence reports. And we provide follow-up to victims. And we also look at, you know, um, with, with a critical eye and a partnership eye, of, you know, was this a good response? Did we miss something? Did police miss something? How can we be of assistance to ensure that we're looking at all of these incidents in a holistic way? Um, so we're doing that. We continue to receive funding from uh, Coburg Police. Coburg Police also just received a big grant through Victim, Victim Services, Victim Canada, I can't remember the name of it, uh, for us to expand that program and also offer it with Port Hope Police. So I think there's a real willingness with Cobra Police, with uh, Port Hope Police. Um, and we have great working relationship. Again, both the chiefs are on our on our board of directors. Um, they are really committed to, to working around this issue. So that brings me great hope and something that I'm really proud of, of what we've created here. And it's based on a great working relationship and a willingness uh, to do more and to do better. You mentioned Coburg Police, but you don't mention the OPP or Port Hope Police. What Port relationships Hope do you have? Port Hope Police, we are working. Um, we've just started working with Port Hope Police to do the same thing of going in and reviewing their files um, and working with them closely. So yeah, Port Hope Police is really coming around since the new chief has arrived, Tim Parkinson. Great, uh, great supporter. Again, sits on our board of directors, really keenly committed to the issue. So I'm really hopeful about that. Um, OPP, we don't work as closely with OPP. For sure, they refer women to our services. I think OPP has always been sort of historically more aligned with victim services, which is a separate organization from Cornerstone. Um, so yeah, I think they're doing some good work. We just haven't developed the same relationship. I think with Coburg, it's just been an ongoing 
uh, ongoing relationship that's been really positive, certainly since Kai Lu arrived. He was instrumental in getting some of these programs going. Um, and Paul Vandegraaff has continued to really provide, um, you know, money for us to do this, as well as, um, you know, a, a commitment. So that that's good. And I'm hopeful of what's going to happen with Per Hope as well. There is a recommendation to create seed funding through Elder Abuse Prevention Ontario to develop local networks around violence against older women. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so there is an Elder Abuse Resource Network here in Northumberland County. Um, we received funding a number of years ago to develop to deliver a program called It's Not Right. And it was about providing education around elder abuse. So as we know, sometimes the problems with grants is they end. So the recommendation was really about, you know, how do we how, how do we do something on an ongoing basis and receive funding to do it? Um, so so I think that that will be really interesting. There is an elder abuse network here in Northumberland County. Uh, that we sat on for for a number of years we stepped away um i think during covid because there wasn't there wasn't a, a, a whole lot of uptake in terms of a work plan and again we had to make some decisions in terms of resources and where were we at especially during the two two and a half whatever years uh, of covid um so i think it's something that we're going to re-look at robert given the given the inquest recommendations uh, and work, you know, work collaboratively with with some of our partners. Some of the difficulty in being in a small community is sometimes like, you know, there aren't a lot of people to collaborate with around this issue, right? You know, like we are the the intimate partner violence organization. Um, so yeah, we're we're going to look at doing that through our uh, coordinating committee. Our coordinating committee, we're really looking at revising that. Um, with the blessing of our ministry, the funding that we receive, to look specifically at the inquest recommendations and how do we do this? So we're looking at, you know, tr training modules. Like how do we develop training modules so that I can say to the hospital, here are training modules. So you guys are all busy. I know how busy you are. Here's a half an hour training module to give to your to your nursing staff, to your cleaning staff, to your ER doctors that will just give you a snapshot of what are some of the things that you should be looking for and what is the specific thing, you know, like refer to us, it's all good. But so those are some of the recommendations that we're looking at developing through our coordinating committee, Robert. So um, yeah, I was really pleased that our program supervisor, when we said to her, we really need to change direction of our Thrive coordinating committee. Here's what I'm thinking of, this could be a crazy idea. She didn't think it was a crazy idea and thought it made a lot of sense because I was like, we have to have committees that have work plans and that have outcomes. And, you know, we're, we're too busy and there's so many urgent issues that, you know, we're, I'm, I'm pretty focused. And I think at Cornerstone, we're pretty focused on like, what's the work plan here? What are we doing? What are deliverables? Um, we don't need to sit around tables that, you know, are, are just sort of, um, networking tables, right? Sometimes that's important for certain things. But the urgency of the of the inquest recommendation says something very, very different to me. We still have a lot of work to do um, and we're committed to doing that. So, 
yeah, that's that's the work that the coordinating committee is going to go in as well. There was a recommendation to declare intimate partner violence as an epidemic, and I'm sure that's not news to you. <laughs> but what is your reaction to that recommendation? Yeah, well, it's been interesting across our sector about that because it was quite specific. The, the recommendation is for the provincial government to declare intimate partner violence an epidemic, which they haven't done yet. A number of communities are doing that at the municipal level, but the province hasn't done it yet. Um, today, though, I have to say to you, Robert, and I didn't have a chance to send this to you, but the government of Canada and Ontario signed the bilateral agreement on the National Action Plan today. So the National Action Plan has been in the works, as you know, for years. And in November 2022, the federal government said, okay, we're ready to do this. It's a 10-year federal plan. We've never had a National Action Plan ever, which is just, again, like crazy to me. So the province, Ontario, has has signed the bilateral agreement as of this morning. What that means for Cornerstone, I don't know yet. Um, but I do know that some of the recommendations that we fed our association, some of the words seem to be in the media release. So I'm thinking, I'm hoping that they've listened to us. One of the things that we have said in Ontario and probably across Canada is adequately fund the programs and services you already have. Don't make us create new and innovative solutions, right? That we were required to do forever and made us all crazy. Going, what we're doing right now is really good solid stuff that many of us have been doing like Cornerstone for 35 years. We know what we're doing. We need the money to do it so that we're not having to raise upwards of half a million or a million dollars every year to just keep the lights on. So I'm really hoping <laughs> that, you know, the investment of the federal money through the province is going to hopefully elevate some of those funding streams. They also talked about prevention, which again is something that we've been talking about forever. Um, of funding prevention initiatives. What exactly that's going to mean, I don't know. So the media release just happened today, again, in alignment with North, you know, November being Women Abuse uh, Awareness Month, Prevention Month. So that was good. Arrived across my desk, sent it out to staff to say, this is good news. Don't know what it means, but this is the first time. And, you know, we knew when it came down, the National Action Plan came down, we all did a bit of a groan because they were like, okay, so now y'all have to go and make bilateral agreements with the federal government. So we're like, oh my goodness, we never saw that coming. And it certainly wasn't a recommendation from us, you know, at, at, at a national level, because we were like, this is just going to slow everything down. So I was quite happy to see that it was a year. I know it was a year. I was worried it might be longer. So. We'll see what happens, right? Going to celebrate the small wins. Um, it's 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 another step of actually having a national action plan and actually some money attached to the implementation of the national action plan in Ontario. So that was a hallelujah moment today. Was there something the coroner missed that you would like to be included in the recommendations that was not? 
Um, I, I don't think so. I, I was, I was really impressed with the coroner's counsel, um, the, the two women, and they were really committed to this process and really seemed to get the issues. Um, and I, I was quite pleased with that. I, again, you know, I, I've never, I've thankfully never been involved in a coroner's inquest. This is the first in my career, although there's only been probably five in the province, which is a concern. Um, so I, I didn't really know what to expect. It was a brand new thing for me, right? And I didn't have a lawyer. Everybody else had a lawyer. We didn't have a lawyer. I didn't feel a need to have a lawyer. Um, and it wasn't our role there. So there was, you know, Peter Jaffe, who is a very, very well-known expert in our field. He was, uh, he was the expert witness that testified at the inquest for a full day. And he did a dynamite job as Peter would. He's very well-known, very respected. Um, yeah, so he, he did a fabulous job. And I think the recommendations are good. Based on the evidence, I think the recommendations are good. The implementation is gonna be the other thing, right? So one of the recommendations that came out of this inquest as well as some recent inquests is to have a separate body, whatever that might be, that follows up on the implementation of the recommendations because you can make all the recommendations in the world that you want. And I think the Renfrew County uh, inquest that happened last year after the murder of three women in Renfrew County, I think they had upwards of a hundred recommendations. So, you know, it, and some of them were similar to this, um, but, you know, I can tell you back with some of the earliest inquests of Arlene May, um, th they, they're similar, they're similar, but this I thought re reflected what the evidence was. And it also highlighted, which I thought they did a really good job, highlighted the, the issue of elderly women and intimate partner violence. So that was that was unique, and I think they did a really good job. And I'm glad that that, that I'm glad that that was highlighted um, for for women, you know, like like Mrs. Ryan and many other women who who are experiencing this, um, who who are elderly and feel alone and afraid and isolated and ashamed, and you know, um, hope that nothing like this happens again but we do know that you know femicide with elderly women is has been on the rise over the last few years if you could leave listeners with one takeaway from this inquest and your insights what would that be i think the importance of working together i think there is an opportunity in working more closely with the healthcare sector. Um, and again, what I was, what I continue to come back to is many women don't reach it to Cornerstone because they don't know the way here. And if it's as simple as they see their doctor or they're at the ER or they are delivering a baby at Northumberland Hills Hospital or Campbellford, um, and they know that we're here, because people tell them and people ask them a question uh, or people notice something not quite being there or something is off, you know, um, 
that they find their way here. And I think we need to do that. We need to do that together and we need to break down the silos and, uh, and work, work together effectively. So that's something we're really committed to doing. And I, 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 I hope, and I believe that we have partners in the community who are also willing to do that with us. Nancy Johnson, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks, Robert. I appreciate it. That was Nancy Johnson, CEO of Cornerstone Family Violence Prevention Center. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.